Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. Hey everyone, this is episode five and I'm your host, Sarah McKenzie. Thanks for being here. Today, I'm sharing the rest of the conversation I had with Jim Weiss from Great Hall Productions. In episode four, he gave us some great tips for character voices and helped us with some ideas for generally improving our skill as storytellers. It was a fantastic conversation. If you missed it, make sure you go listen and you can find that episode at readaloudrevival.com. Just look for the button that says episode four. In today's episode, Jim shares a little more of his heart. I think you're going to be really inspired by what he has to say. We aren't going to be perfect at reading aloud or really at any part of parenting, so we can listen in and get encouraged and inspired by what Jim has to say about that. Before we get to the conversation, I want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by Audible. Audible is a fantastic resource for audiobooks of all kinds. They are really easy to find there and simple to use. You can find almost anything you're looking for. It's actually quite amazing. Head to audibletrial.com forward slash read aloud and you'll get a free audiobook just for trying Audible. So many thanks to Audible for supporting the podcast. And again, visit audibletrial.com forward slash read aloud. Okay, here's the rest of that conversation with Jim. So I've heard you talk a bit about the need for um, for parents to take the pressure off. You know, of, of we feel like we need to be perfect storytellers or... Um, or do this just right. And I think sometimes we create this vision of reading aloud that we're, you know, we, maybe we're sipping tea and our toddlers are playing quietly at our feet. And I mean, um, we have kind of this ideal story time. And when we can't make that happen, we get frustrated. So can you speak a little bit to that need for us to let go of the ideal of perfection? Sure. Well, first of all, let me just put a little note in here. When you're telling stories, it doesn't or reading aloud to your child, and both of them are, are wonderful. I mean, they're not telling a story in your own words is, doesn't mean that you stop reading to your kids. I mean, reading to your kids is just so valuable. Sometimes you want to read out loud. Sometimes you want to tell. Sometimes you want to read out loud, but there's a page that you know is going to be too scary or too complex, and you decide... I'm going to paraphrase this one page. Yeah. Okay. And it's all right if your child is drawing or putting Legos together. Um, I mean, if they start throwing the ball around and shrieking, that's something else again. <laughs> but but the, the idea is that they, it, not necessarily that they have to sit still as if they're military figures. 
um, a lot of the time they will like to be doing other things, but they'll be listening. Yeah, I think actually, especially for my son, but I think all of my big kids really actually listen better when their hands are engaged with something like a drawing or finger knitting or something. So that that's point number one. Point number two extends far beyond the realm of storytelling to what you do as a parent in general, um, what one does. We want so much to do the very best we can for our children, to give them the benefit of what, whatever knowledge, whatever wisdom, whatever love we possess. We want to make their lives wonderful. And the problem can come when we put intense pressure on ourselves to do this on a level which maybe is not sustainable all the time. I, I spoke oh, a couple of years ago, I was at a, at a homeschool conference, and I was in the question and answer section. Yeah, in my teaching sessions, as opposed to the storytelling sessions, I'll, I'll take questions all the way through, but this particular thing was near the end, and there was a father there who kept asking questions, and I could see this guy was just so intensely wanting to do what was right for his son. And I was watching the guy shaking apart before my very eyes. Hmm. And I finally stopped and I said, you know, I'm just going to say something and I don't know where this is coming from. And take it or, or leave it as you will. But you're trying too hard, I think. You're going to, first of all, you can't hit the level you're trying to hit all the time. And all you're going to do to yourself is make yourself feel like a failure and give yourself a heart attack or, or a series of migraines. And what's even worse is your child is going to observe you doing this and your son is going to start trying to do the same thing. Wow, very true. I'm not, and your son is going to end up with a heart attack or migraines or being unhappy with himself. Now, I'm not saying that you toss away any idea of a high-level performance in the things that you do or the things that your child learns to do. Obviously, you want to do your best, but it's your best. It's not perfect. And the, the greatest athlete, the greatest writer, the greatest singer, the greatest actor doesn't hit a home run every time. You do the best you can do, and, and you know, first of all, that your child is going to go on, if you've inspired your child to learn, is going to go back and, and get this again anyway. They're going to study the Middle Ages again later on if they're turned on the first time. They'll do it on their own. What you're involved with now is, first of all, getting them turned on to learning mm-hmm. and lighting that flame. That, that passion to learn. And if you do that, you're halfway to being a successful parent. And the other half has to do with your child being ending up being a good person and a godly person, I think, in my, in my way of looking at it. Some people would just say a good person, and that's okay for me. I think those are what the things you're after. Is my son and my daughter growing up to be a good person? And is my son or daughter growing up to love to learn? 
you um, can't be uh, perfect, and your child is not going to be perfect, and um, this is why we talk about lifelong learning. Yeah. Well, I love this. I love that you say that because I think um, maybe an obstacle to a lot of uh, you know parents starting to do something like reading aloud is because we make it too big of a project. Or I talked to Adam Andrews last episode about talking to our kids about books, and I know one of the things I've struggled with when it comes to talking about the stories with my kids is that I think I don't know the right questions to ask, so I'm just not going to ask any. And instead, it's really helpful for me to go, okay, I'm just going to take this one picture book or this one fable or, you know, one small story, and I'm going to tell it really well, and we're going to chat about it, and it doesn't have to be perfect. And if we just take it in this little bite-sized chunk and go, you know what, it's a connection with my kids, no matter if it's done with you know, done really, really well, or just done mm-hmm. good enough. Well, and 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 I think there are times you, that you don't even have to have a discussion. I mean, we all have this tendency to say, "I've got to make this significant." Yeah. So let's talk about it. There's some stories where, especially the ones where you you see your child is just transported at the end of the story into this magical place, you know, don't, I always say, don't pop the bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Let that be one of the times when you say, Hey, let's uh, just take some time now to, to be quiet or let's go out and toss the ball around or whatever you do. And, and maybe you don't talk about, you know, what have we learned that time? You just let the story work its magic on the child without inner, without putting yourself in between. Yeah. And, and I mean, if you do it most of the time, if you start talking about, you know, do you think he did the right thing when he made that choice, or what else could she have done? If you do that a lot of the time, they'll be looking for that in every story anyway. They'll start looking for that element in every story they encounter. Yeah, Including, that's exactly what Adam said. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, and you and and it's there if you think about it. Stories are all about people overcoming challenges or trying to overcome. Sometimes they don't actually overcome the challenge, but they're trying to for whatever reason. Otherwise, it's not a story. It's a, it, it, it may be a series of events, but it's not a story story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think you can talk about, you know, you can talk about composers who had challenges. I mean, Beethoven writing after his death and creating his greatest masterpieces. You can talk about painters, inventors, engineers, scientists, anything, and talk about why these people, what they were facing, you know, what was the challenge, you know, why do you think he did it the way he did it, um, what else could he have done in, in this situation, but you don't always have to do that, it's just going to be there in the story anyway, and once they're used to it, they'll spot it. And they'll start looking for it in their own lives, by the way, too, and in the people around them. It's one of the ways that you start judging people that you encounter in your life. Is this somebody who sees something important and and is willing to do something about it? Or is this somebody who isn't? And maybe this first person might be a little more worth my time than the second person. For that one reason. So when you're telling us, when we're telling stories um, to our kids or reading aloud, how often do you think we should stop and be sure that they understand the figures of speech or 
you know, different new words, vocabulary. Well, this is one reason I do what I do, and I don't always read it right off the page, because because I'll I, there are some stories where I know they won't get some parts of it. Now, a lot of the time, they'll still get it in the context. They'll they'll be able to figure it out in the context of things, and I think it's okay occasionally if you come up with something particularly kind of obscure to say to you, to stop and say to your child, "Do you know what that means, honey?" Um, other times, maybe you don't want to break in to do that. Now, one way that you can get around it, something I came up with for myself years ago, is if I'm telling a story, an example I always use is a Sherlock Holmes detective mystery story. If Holmes is explaining something, and I look out of my audience, and from the expressions, I see there's some people who don't get what I just said, I don't stop and say, now this is what he was saying. Oh, okay. What I'll do in that particular case is I'll have Holmes's friend, Dr. Watson, say, in character, I say, Holmes, I, I'm not quite clear on that last point. Would you mind uh, uh, explaining it in some other fashion? <laughs> and then I'll say, I'd be delighted to do so, Watson, and I'll just paraphrase it in another way. I let Holmes do it. Oh, that's great. I never even thought of that. Yeah, well, why not, you know? Now, there's nothing wrong with stopping. But if you're, you know, you don't want to stop and break in all the time because then the whole thing breaks the flow of the story. It's one of the things authors learned. Um, if they're good authors, they learn that sometimes those, the particular detail that's so interesting to you is one that is too much of a digression. And you better take it out or, you better, or make that the, the basis of your next book instead because you're going to lose your audience. Right, right. What would you recommend for older kids who think they're too old for stories? Now, I don't have any of those yet, but I do know that some of my listeners have said that they have older kids that feel like storytelling is for babies or for younger kids. So are, do they just need to find the right stories to share with their kids? or To some degree, it depends on the child. Okay. My experience is, that at, there's certain ages at which kids will say that, and yet they're really hoping he'll continue. Yeah. Randy, Randy had her own national awards as a, as a teacher and a counselor, and her national awards um, and state awards came about because she created a program for high-risk middle school students. Oh. And they were tough kids to deal with. And she would read to them, and inevitably they would say at the beginning of the year, what does she think were babies? But once she started reading, if it was the right story, and if it was one that she read with sincerity, so they knew that she was into it, they'd stop complaining. They'd ask her to read another chapter. Yeah. Um, I, I think part of it is that age, especially around what we think of as middle school or junior high school age, because at that age, kids are starting to, to delineate who they are as individuals. And, and they have one foot still in being little kids and one foot in being older. And they want to appear to be older, and yet they feel more secure if mom or dad is in the room, you know? Yeah. Even if they want to be on the other side of the room <laughs> themselves, they like the idea that you're there. 
Yeah. And um, sometimes that's true with stories, too. Now, obviously, there are going to be some stories that they may want to read on their own at that point. Although, uh, you're going to hope that they're appropriate stories. There will be some point in time where your child is no longer, when you're no longer making all those decisions, it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to grow up and they're going to start reading stuff on their own that they choose to read. And it's all the more reason why you want to give them good things to read early on so they can tell the difference and they won't be as interested in reading the junk later on. I think it's okay to share stories, and I also think without saying why, yeah, sometimes it's a good thing to talk about. It's another good reason to talk about the authors and the storytellers. To talk about Homer telling his stories to audiences of adults in ancient Greece. Yeah, right. I agree. The whole Greek civilization was built on Homer. Well, here's the other thing I kind of think. If in our homes, if only kids are listening to stories, if if we're if that's all they see is that stories told out loud are for children, then that's what they think stories are for. But uh, mm-hmm. I love listening to audiobooks and um I sure. think if kids kind of see their parents listening to stories themselves, then maybe they'll stop um, seeing it as just a childish activity because it's not. <laughs> Storytelling it's has never it's been. the same way you children. want them to see you reading books. Yeah, right. Because you're modeling that behavior. And by the way, those moments when you turn to your husband or your child, for that matter, and say, oh, listen to this, and you read him a paragraph that you thought was funny or, or, or interesting, uh-huh. you're not only giving them the content, you're demonstrating the fact that you're still excited by the stuff you read. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's good. It's one of the reasons, one of the many reasons that I, in my recordings that come from literature, as opposed to the history recordings, mm-hmm. that I love to tell whenever possible about the author or the origins of the story. Because I want kids to realize, I want the listeners to realize, this book didn't just appear on a shelf. Yeah. Somebody went through something to, to get this thing out to us. And they worked at it, and it was um, it was not something that just flowed out in fifteen minutes. <laughs> right. I mean, it it once or twice you'll you'll hear of that kind of thing ha- happening. You know, Coleridge writing in Xanadu did Kublai Khan a stately pleasure dome decree, and and starting to write it, and he never finished the poem because the mailman came at the mail and interrupted him. <laughs> Is that right? Really? That's true. Yeah, oh. he was. He, he, had, he had the whole poem in his head, and he started to write it down, and then 15 minutes into it, the, po- the mailman came, and by the time he'd left, the thing was gone. Oh my so we have this fabulous classic poem, which is unfinished. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson wrote Treasure Island in about three and a half weeks. <gasps> no, I didn't know that. Really? He basically, it was like it was channeled, but he was shocked. Mm. It was the only time that ever happened to him, and this is a guy who wrote yeah. so many classics. All the others he wrote the way the rest of us do, which is you write it and you rewrite it and you rewrite it and you rewrite it. And he was stunned that it happened this way. And and the reason it's such an interesting and shocking thing is because it doesn't happen that way. And people have to really sit down and work at this stuff. Even if it's joyous, it's still work. And um, 
And that makes it less of a just, oh, let's toss this thing off. It doesn't mean anything. I like to talk about the authors. It's another case of somebody overcoming challenges. I like to talk about um, that as another example of what literature can, can do for us. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer And here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, there's a replay, so make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. Well, what has been your all-time favorite story to tell? Do you have a favorite? I have favorite anecdotes, anecdotes and segments. There is not one story. I know the ones that I tell the most frequently um, for one reason or another. I mean, I love telling Aesop's fables like the tortoise and the hare and the lion and the mouse and the others because they're fun. Okay. I get to do lots of voices and accents. I love Greek mythology because... There's so much depth in those stories, it's, which is one of the reasons that Greek mythology is one of the foundations of Western literature, yeah. the, other one being the, the other one being the Bible. And I'm not equating the content of fictional mythology with the Bible, but I'm saying this is where we get our storylines and our stock characters. Yep, yep. From our two, those are the two sources. All of Western civilization is built on the Bible and Greek or Greco, Greco-Roman mythology. Yep. And Aeschylus, who basically invented the tragedy, the first real playwright, and who's still considered one of the four greatest playwrights who ever lived, said that everything, he said, everything I, I did was just the crumbs left over from Homer's feast. Mm. What he was saying was the story... Homer's stories pull together a diverse group of stories into what we now think of as Greek civilization, which is one of the foundations of the Western world. And the Greeks knew it at the time. So if you look at it, our entire foundation is built on stories. The stories in the Bible, Mm -hmm. or the stories that formed Greek civilization and later shaped Roman 
civilization. Uh, it just reminds me of Andrew Kern from the Searcy Institute, who is a, yeah. a favorite of mine. He says, you don't, there's nothing you have to do in, you know, in education or in the life of your child, except you have to read the Bible and you have to read Homer. <laughs> Those are the two things you have to do. And so that kind of reminds me of... I, I think, and I, I would not stop with Homer, and, and obviously with the Greeks, but... Um, but yeah, those are those are the plot lines. Those are the stock characters that appear over and over again, and they're two of the three sources from which we most frequently get our everyday phrases in in our conversation. Yeah, right. Most quoted the most quoted source is the Bible, particularly the King James version or translation. Number two is the works of Shakespeare, and by the way, Shakespeare knew Greek mythology very well, and and and. Uh, ancient history very well. And the number three is Greek mythology. And we refer, we use phrases from these all the time, and we refer to them in our conversation and in our newscasts and our writing. And, uh, you know, if you don't know what a Trojan horse is, um, then when it gets mentioned in the news, you don't know what they're talking about. Right, yeah. Yeah, we're going to... I'm going to be talking with Ken Ludwig. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. He wrote How to Teach Your Children Shakespeare, which is... Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic book, and so I'm going to be chatting with him in a couple of weeks for I've, this podcast. I've been, I'm doing a session. I've been doing a session this year on how to teach Shakespeare, and Ooh, okay. I have been reading so many of the books. In addition to the years I've spent thinking about it and doing it already, and uh, in, including looking at Ken's book, by the way. Oh yeah. And, you know, but there are many different methods. But what's really interesting about it is um, that when you go to the actors themselves. The greatest Shakespearean actors, mm-hmm. whether it's you know Kenneth Branagh or Kevin Kline right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. or Olivier or Gielgud a generation or two ago, or whoever it is, sooner or later in the interview, every single time without exception, they end up saying everything you need to know is right there in the text, Ugh. without exception. Now. This is, is like the this and the Bible are the classic example of feeling overwhelmed, like you've got to do this perfectly and putting this pressure on yourself. Oh yeah, yeah. And you have to remember that Shakespeare didn't. <laughs> he didn't do it himself. You know, he was writing to fill the seats, and he was making his money selling the tickets. <laughs> That's right. And the yeah. fact <laughs> that he could write Hamlet or Macbeth in a way that filled the seats just shows what a genius he was. But the fact of the matter is. It's it's there in the characters already, and it always, always, Shakespeare or not, comes down to the character. It always is built around what's distinctive about this character. Because you could put Hamlet and Macbeth into one another's situations, and they would handle it differently. Oh, yeah. That's very, yeah, that's a great point. <laughs> I you never know, thought you, of you, that. You, uh-huh. Every story, every great story, let me put it this way, not the, not the ones that, you know, cardboard characters, but anything that's a great story, it always comes from the character. What's special about this character? How does she respond in difficult situations or funny situations or heartfelt situations? That's what I have to know because that's going to carry her or him along on a certain path. And that's the whole thing. You read... Harry Truman said, you read to, in order to learn how people operate. Yeah. 
That's right. And the stories that you love, whether it's a film, a novel, a short story, a play, whatever, or a true story, the stories, the ones that stick with you, inevitably are the ones where you, where that character and you are just on the same wavelength, where you're resonating with that that person or what he or she is going through. Yeah. And that's what you have to look for in a story, and that's what makes a story work. And that's why when you're sharing a story with your kid, you need to make sure that there's something there of that character. It's not just a recitation of, first he did this, then he did this, then he did this. We have to feel something about the, the character's feeling. Oh, wow. Yes, Absolutely. Gosh, Jim, this has been so fantastic. You've given us some really good practical tips for characterization and helping us get into the stories and staying awake and um, being interested and so much inspiration for why this is so important. I really appreciate your time. This has been very enlightening for me. Well, you know, I, I hope so, and I hope it will be for uh, for your listeners too. And I, I want to... Um, just kind of end with with uh, three quick thoughts, if I may. Absolutely. The the first one is to repeat that business about not going for perfection, and remember that I'm not just talking about telling stories now. I'm talking about this as a parent in general. Mm-hmm. Take that pressure off of yourself. Do the very best you can, but don't hit yourself over the head with a board if it's not perfect because it's not going to be perfect. Yeah. Just do what you can do. Number two, I know you said you were going to um, mention my uh, where people could get a hold of my recording to contact us. And one of the things I want to mention is that on our website, there is a place where you can email me. Okay. People email me with questions all the time. Okay. And I am always open to that. If I'm on the road, it may take me a couple of days to get back to you, but I will. And you're not in this alone. You already know as a homeschooling parent that homeschoolers talk among themselves. But those of us, including all the people you've mentioned, you know, Andrew and Andrew and Ken and all the others, um, we talk with you because we care and we want to share stuff with you too. So feel free to ask the people as resources. And the last thing I want to say is this. We are... Um, we are living in and raising children in a very difficult time, historically speaking. And there is so much change. We are bombarded with information. Um, and you can't, you can't really hide your, your son or your daughter from some of the stuff out there that maybe you could have hidden away a generation ago because the media carries everything and you can't totally escape from it. Yeah. What you can do is offer your vision of how you think we can best operate and how we should respond and participate in the world. And for me and for a lot of the people other people you've mentioned in in, in passing today. Mhm. One of the most powerful ways to do that is through the stories you choose, because it's through our stories that we choose the examples of what not to do and of what to do. And because they're stories, they're memorable, 
and they stay with us on a much deeper level than if you just say, do this, don't do that. That's right. It's like it actually imprints onto us. It, it forms us. Yeah. So those are the three things I want to say to you. And um, share the stories because the ones that mean something to you. And, and if you are very fortunate, you will watch your children starting to share stories with others sooner or later. And you know you, you have built this thing. That's right. Well, I hope our listeners, um, please visit greathall.com. You will be very blessed. That's G-R-E-A-T-H-A-L-L.com. That's Jim's website. And you can see all of his recording, or you, you can see the offerings that he's got for all of his 49 recordings. He's got some new titles. I, I said I could, and I did as well as The Hound of the Baskervilles. He's got mythology, stories for preschoolers, um, mysteries, Shakespeare, all kinds of classics. I mean, it, it's, it will bless you to go to the website and see what he's got there. Um, and you can also see where he's going to be, if he's going to be anywhere in your area where you can meet him. I did get to meet you once, Jim. It had to have been about 10 years ago when my oldest was a toddler and I went to my first homeschooling convention and I... Um, I think I spoke with you for about 30 seconds. I was so overwhelmed because I was new to the whole uh, homeschool convention thing, which is its own, you know, <laughs> craziness. It's so. its own crazy world, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it is overwhelming sometimes, especially the first ones you're going through. Oh, yeah. And I, I, by the way, conversely here, mm-hmm. this is also where, we, where people get in touch with us when mm-hmm. they say, hey, you know, can you come and, can you come and perform it? Can you come and teach it in our area? I'm not going to be near this conference that you're doing, but can we, can we set something up here? Okay. And that's, that's how that happens too. Oh, excellent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so you can get in touch with Jim at the website. You can also sign up for his monthly e-magazine, which I get in my email box. Uh, and it's always something I look forward to. So you can sign up for that, um, right there on the homepage at greathall.com. Again, thank you so much, Jim, for chatting with me today. And I hope, I know, actually, I know this this is going to bless a lot of people. Well, it was a blessing for me, and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing, Sarah. And uh, thank you very much for asking me. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. My name is Kinsley and I'm eight years old. My favorite read aloud is Little House on the Prairie. The, the story is about a little girl named Laura, her older sister Mary, who is effortlessly good all the time, her baby sister, their parents, and their bulldog. They move into the prairie deep in Indian territory. I enjoy Laura's poetic descriptions of things and how it makes me able to picture the things and imagine the feelings. My name is Mary, age 9, from Florida. My favorite book is The Princess and the Goblin by George MacDonald. I love the book. It is so neat because the two main characters are around my age. In the book, the goblins plot an evil plan against the princess Irene. But can 13-year-old Curdy, a simple minor boy, save the castle and everyone in it before it is too late? And when Cam, seven-year-old Princess Irene, 
save Curdy before time runs out, I suggest to have Mom or Dad read you the book. You'll love it. It shows how even the young children can do a huge deed. Hi, I'm Sophie and I'm seven years old. My favorite read aloud is called What Would Jesus Do? It is about a girl named Claire, a boy named Bill, and a few of their friends. It tells the story of what happens in their lives when they decide to ask the very important question, what would Jesus do? Oh man, I just loved that conversation. Jim is such an encouragement to parents everywhere. So listen, if you want a chance to win a CD from Great Hall Productions, your choice from any of the 49 story recordings at greathall.com, then you can enter for your chance to win um, at episode four. So head to readaloudrevival.com, click on the button that says episode four. That's my first conversation I had with Jim. And uh, there's a place to enter the giveaway on that post. For show notes from today's episode, of course, head to readaloudrevival.com and look for episode five. You can find the books recommended by today's Let the Kids Speak guests in the show notes as well. Remember, if your child would like to get on the show, he or she can leave me a message at readaloudrevival.com. Just scroll to the bottom of the page and you'll see the place to do that. I also wanted to remind you that the Traveling Through the Pages summer reading program is still happening. Um, Pam was here the last couple of episodes with some great tips for visiting the library and also some ideas for finding good prices on books for your own home library. Um, Her summer reading program has been a highlight of our summer in our family. I mean, really, I I do these... uh, routine end of year interviews with my kids to find out, you know, what they liked most about the school year and whatnot. And this year when I asked my 10 year old what her favorite subject was, she asked if traveling through the pages counts. (laughs) So it's been really fun. The kids are choosing from uh, genres they don't usually pick. And that's been kind of fun for me to see, um, to kind of watch their interests bloom and, and expand a bit. So it's not too late to get your free materials for traveling through the pages so that your kids can join the fun. There's a link to the program, of course, in the show notes, or you can get there directly at edsnapshots.com. That's it for episode five. Until next time, go build your family culture around books.